Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for show number 126, brought to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and here with video on YouTube. This week, uh, we're just going to get right into it here. Um, this is a, uh, a non-political episode this week, uh, totally off from what we were covering last week with, with Trump and all that. And uh, we're going to talk about humanism this week. And this is a subject that I have been fascinated, interested, and intrigued by for quite some time. Um, I heard and read some work from some humanists and was just and thought, you know, if there is any label that I would be happy, like uh, unconditionally happy to have assigned to me, it would be a humanist. And, uh, and, I've, and I can only say that, of course, now that I've learned more about it and, and what it's all about, and I'm so happy and enthusiastic about it that I wanted to promote humanism and decided to take an episode of my podcast to do so. But instead of just talking myself about it, I invited the president of the American Humanist Association to speak uh, about the topic and... Uh, her name is Rebecca Hale, and she actually lives here in Colorado, so uh, she's just down the road from me, but we're, we're not doing a live one. We're doing it by Skype. So thank you very much, Rebecca, for being on the show. Thank you, Chris. I'm happy to be here with you. Awesome. Okay, well, let's just jump right into this. You are the president of the American Humanist Association, so what I figure if anybody could tell me about this, it would be you. <laughs> So what, first off, is humanism, and, and how is it different or, or you know, uh, contrast with atheism, skepticism, you know, secularism, all these other isms that we talk about in the secular community? Okay. Well, I, you know, I can read you the official definition. Sure. Um, but, okay, so we'll, we'll do that, and then I'll really talk about what it is. Humanism is a progressive philosophy of life that without theism and other supernatural beliefs affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment, those lives that aspire to the greater good of humanity. So how it, how it differs is that when someone says they're an atheist, they're only saying they don't believe in gods. That's really... All they're saying about themselves is they don't believe in gods. Um, when they say they're a skeptic, they say they question everything. Um, they don't really question everything. No, they don't. Um, <laughs> There's all kinds of things they, they, they accept as well, but yes. That's right. Um, but when you say you're a humanist, you're saying more about how it is you choose to live your life. And you're saying more about how you choose to interact with other people. Um, I live in Colorado Springs, which is sort of a libertarian bastion. And so when I, when I discuss it with people, I, I tend to try to speak in terms that, that resonate with them. And that is that humanism is a, is a life philosophy of personal responsibility. We don't expect um, a god or a duesis machina to reach down from the heavens and save us. We figure people made the problems, people have to fix the problems. And so that's, that's really um, the very, very root of it. We, we 
feel a responsibility to other sentient and non-sentient beings here on the planet, that science, and whether it's social science or the hard sciences, show that there are certain ways that you conduct yourself in life that make things work better. And there are other ways that are not so productive. And so we encourage the behaviors that have been shown to be more productive and more beneficial for everybody. And that's, that's really the difference. Okay, cool. And why is it that the definition that you gave or what the description you just gave doesn't seem by its nature to inherently disregard or call for a disbelief in a, a god or gods? It's, it's, well, it's it without seems... supernatural. So that is an inherent part of being a humanist then. You can't go to church on Sundays and also call yourself a humanist. Well, some people can. Okay. And, and so as, as a representative of the American Humanist Association, our position is that it is non-theistic. Okay. And we don't rely on anything supernatural. But certainly there are many components of humanism that um, any religious person could have. The, the part that differentiates American Humanist Association, our version of humanism, from that which is practiced by, uh, I don't know, a Catholic or an Episcopalian or a Muslim or anybody, is, is our um, acceptance that there is no supernatural mechanism. Okay. okay. There, there, are, you know, there are things, certainly, that we haven't all figured out yet, that science hasn't worked exactly how something, worked out exactly how something works, but that doesn't mean it's supernatural. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I, I only ask because I know that there are some um, theists, right, some believers who are going to think, well, I have those values. You know, I, I don't necessarily, I might believe in a God figure or an afterlife of some kind, but I definitely don't think that he's going to come down and interfere with my life or anybody else's life. It's on us to deal with the problems that humans create. Yeah, so, so I just we wanted have, to clarify that. We have a certain, um, a few percentage points of our membership who are deists. You know, they, people have a difficult time uh, accepting that all of this is natural and it just was an upswell of some stardust and some high pressure and some water and some gases and all the chemistry involved in making life. And, and they like the sense, or they're more comfortable with the sense of something getting it going. So certainly we have some membership that are deists. It's certainly not where I come down. I, I'm, an, I'm an atheist, but um, it's, not, it's not so important to me whether somebody believes in a supreme being or not. What's important to me is how they choose to conduct their life and how they make decisions on, on, on how to live. In other words, do they make decisions because somebody, some authoritarian religious figure told them it was the way it was supposed to be, or do they make decisions because they read it in a book um, that would supposedly was written by the hand of God or the whisper of God into some human's mind, 
or whether they make the decisions based on rational thinking, um, scientific research, some personal experience, and empathy and kindness. Excellent. Well, I will definitely uh, come down on, on, you know, not that side of, of things <laughs> in terms of how I go about making decisions. Um, but I'm definitely an I don't knowist when it comes to the <laughs> comes to the God question, right? So I just got to go. Well, I don't believe in it, but you know, I don't know. I can't say for sure. But I but I wanted to beat that beat that you know point a little bit. I'm sorry. We cannot. We can't prove it either way. Exactly. I mean, we can't prove this. We can't prove a negative. We can't prove God doesn't exist. Right. So God is irrelevant. That's that's where yeah, in this question I completely agree with you, and that's why I, uh, like I said, proudly call myself a humanist uh, without compunction, you know, because I'm not a believer, but I have this sort of well, I don't really know, and I think that's a I think that's a pretty important distinction versus some atheists who are quite militant about their no, there isn't, and 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 goddamn it, you know, you shouldn't think so either, sort of thing, you know. Right. Um, okay, fair enough. Now, how how many are there anyway? How many humanists are there in the AHA or in, in the United States? Well, we have about thirty four thousand members and supporters. Excellent. Well, those are people who have taken the step to you know give us some money this year. There are many more people who are members of their local chapters or you know floating around on university campuses and high schools and community centers that haven't chosen to send us money and declare themselves members. There's a lot more humanists that I run into. Oh, I'm a humanist, but we can't count them because they haven't given us any money. Oh, I see. Okay, good. Well, as far as the actual membership goes, that's, that's encouraging. Um, Cause I think this is probably a group that is going to grow as it is promoted more often and more frequently, you know? I think so, definitely. And I think, you know, I understand you've had some programs on politics and I confess to have been too busy and I haven't listened to them, so I don't know where you are in the political spectrum. But I would lay odds that Bernie Sanders is a humanist. Yes, I think think that's exactly right. But he's not a member of our organization, so we can't count him. Right, exactly. I can't, I can't help but, uh, but call up this old uh, Scientology. Uh, as you know, I used to be involved in church Scientology, you know, and, uh, and there was this saying in Scientology, because it's kind of funny, you have about as many paying members in the AHA as there are Scientologists really? around the world. Yeah, now Scientology is international, so that's around the world. We're just talking about America when we're talking about, you know, 34,000 members. But the, the thing that I'm laughing about inside right now is I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, everybody's a humanist. They just don't know it yet. And this is, <laughs> this is something we used, to, we used to tell ourselves when I was in Scientology. Well, everybody's a Scientologist. They just don't know it yet. So I hope that's not wishful thinking on my part. But I think I have a better basis for comparison and for, uh, for saying something like that because I think there are a lot of people out there who share the values we've just, we've been talking about already in this episode. How did you personally become a humanist? What was your path to this, you know, and to discovering about it, becoming interested enough about it to want to be part of it, and then actually becoming the head of the organization? 
That's not a very exciting story. I don't. <laughs> I um, I live in awe of the people who have made a journey from a hereditary religion where they believed in some supernatural being. I was raised this way. So I'm a little bit unusual. Um, most of our members did come from some other religion. But uh, when I was raised as a humanist, it was when there wasn't really a lot of difference between a Unitarian and a humanist. And my parents, uh, my father came from Judaism, my mother came from Church of the Brethren, and they had both left their religions and they had discovered Unitarianism. So I was raised within the Unitarian movement. So I sort of have the, um, I sort of have a different perspective because since I was raised this way and I was raised a Unitarian, and then the Unitarians started taking this strange little march over towards um, more traditional religions and more mythological belief systems, I held my ground and was fortunate to have the American Humanist Association find me. I, um, Colorado Springs in the, I guess it was the late, mid-90s, had start, started to get very conservative. We oh. were no longer... We hadn't, we'd stopped teaching evolution in a number of our high schools. They were teaching creation science. Um, it's I that still bad in Colorado Springs that they're actually teaching evolution and got rid of, or got rid of evolution and are teaching creationism in the school. I did not realize that. Well, some, this was back in the 90s. Yeah. And yes, in the school districts, this was happening. Wow. No wonder they say what they say about Colorado Springs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a lot better. But anyway, um, I, I was working, I guess by, by that time, my husband Gary was working with the youth group at the Unitarian Church. I had done my three or four years with them, and then he was working with them. And we had an amendment pass that was taking the civil liberties away from gays and lesbians. If you're from Colorado, you yeah. We passed a whole amendment in the state. You can um, not rent to people. You can not hire them. You can kick them out of their apartments or their homes. Jesus. It was, this was in the, this was in the mid-90s? Yeah. Wow. It was called Amendment 11. And it was, it was pretty bad. So he was working with a high school group at the Unitarian Church at the time. And one of the gals, uh, one of the young ladies came in and she was very upset. She was on the swim team at one of the more northern high schools. And they were always praying before they would come out and swim. Or they would come out and pray and then they would swim. And she asked the coach if it would be okay if she waited until after they prayed to come out. And he said yes and he put her on the bench and he didn't put her in the water anymore because she wasn't a team player. So we had this going on. And then we had the passage of the amendment that was taking the rights of gays and lesbians away from them. And Gary and I are sort of activist type people. And we looked at each other and we said, we got to do something about this. And 
we started a little mail order business called Evolve Fish. And we started off selling the little wow. Darwin Fish car plaques. And then we had one designed for us that was an Evolve Fish. And that was sort of our, our hobby for the first year or so, is we advertise it in the little local independent newspapers. And we'd go to the post, this was before the internet, and we would go to the post office and pick up our five or six orders for the week, and we would go home, and we were so excited, we were sending these things out. And one thing led to another, and at one point we were went to the church, and there was a fellow there with a big bookstore that he had kind of carried around the back of his pickup truck. His name was um, Lou Dunlap. And Lou ran the bookstore for the American Humanist Association. And he was getting on in years, and it was kind of difficult for him to haul these bookcases and these books all over the country all the time. And he asked us if we would buy his bookstore. So we bought his bookstore, and we started going to the American Humanist Association conferences. And that's really how I got introduced to humanism as an official organization. I see. Okay, so this guy was, was this guy was a one man band driving around the country with a with a truck full of books, selling them, up, and that, these were books about humanism, I guess. Yeah, and he had he had a wife, and she helped him, so he wasn't quite a one man band. Oh, two man um, band, yeah, two two person was, band. He was associated with the American Humanist Association. It it was a national organization. It was pretty small in those days when I first went on to the board of the AHA, I think we had about 6,500 members. And so... And when was that? How long ago was that? No, people always ask me how long. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, oh, those many years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thinking it was around... Oh, gosh. About 200, 2006... Okay, about 11 years ago. Yeah, about that. 2005-2006. Okay. okay. On the board of directors, yeah. And, uh, and it's seen an expansion of about six, five or six times? Yeah. Not bad? Yeah. Not we, bad? We just moved into a great new building in Washington, D.C. We had this old building that um, everybody was sitting on each other's shoulders. Our staff was really shoehorned in there. And in the last year, we, we bought a new building, and we have room to breathe now. So I, I think we'll be set for a couple of years. Awesome. Well, that's, that's really good, and I'm really happy to hear about the expansion. In expanding and going out into new, new areas and talking to more people and setting up more chapters and that sort of thing, what, <laughs> what do you think is like uh, – the oddest or weirdest thing anyone out there has, has said about the, about humanists. So like, have you run into any kind of weird opposition of any kind? Well, there's always weird opposition, but I don't think it's any different than the opposition the atheists run into, you know, people okay. think they sacrifice babies, you know, it's, we're wow. you know, a secular humanist for a long time. Calling somebody a secular humanist was a slur. It was a terrible thing to be called and, wow. um, because it meant you had no values. Um, I've, I've had so many people say to me, well, how do you know how to be good? 
Mm. Right. And that's, it's been an interesting, you know, journey to think that these people are asking me this, but these are the same people that will honor people who, who do terrible things to each other, support the behavior of, of Catholic priests and other white-collar clerical people who, who do terrible things to children. Um, so it's one of those things is you look to see what they're accusing you of doing, and you kind of have an inkling that that's what they're doing. Right, right. And just to be clear um, about that, that's not to paint, you know, everyone who practices Catholicism with a, a brush of, you know, uh, of complacency or, or you know, you, you guys are all okay with, with uh, pedophilia or something. But just to also be, but, but to be even more crystal clear, there are people who are practicing Catholics who are giving the church a pass on that, on their behavior. And it's not just Catholicism. Right. And, and I suspect, I mean, I don't have any evidence, I don't have any particular instances, but I'm sure there's a humanist or two out there who are, who's also doing things that we wouldn't necessarily approve of. Absolutely. There's no, for just percentages-wise, there's no way that there isn't. Yeah. You know. But the... the Hypocrisy that goes on in organized religion is um, something that is pretty blatant. It certainly can be, and it certainly is disturbing when it when it rears its ugly head. And we do see instances of that in in comment sections on social media of all kinds, all platforms, in uh, talking head pundits making excuses for you know the Pope or for cardinals or bishops or whatever. I mean. We see this activity. It's not you know you really don't have to look very hard or very far to find this right. kind of complacency, and that's 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 the target, not all Catholics or something like that. And I just wanted to take a moment to make that clear, not because I think you're saying that, but just because the audience hears things differently sometimes. Yeah, no, I have a brother-in-law who's a who's a dear man, and and he's oh, he's the best Catholic, you know. Yeah. Wednesday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. He's he's doing his thing. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I have good friends who are good Catholics and, and I and I value their friendship, you know, but they're not complacent about, you know, pedophilia, but they know people who are, you know. Right. Uh, okay, well let's now since we've uh, sort of really, you know, uh, popped into the the whole church thing, does the AHA, does the American Humanist Association get it all involved? in the uh, separation of church and state issues. This is, this is FFR, Freedom from Religion Foundation, or FFRF territory. Um, I mean, there I was impressed. The other day, I even saw an FFRF TV commercial on, uh, on mm -hmm. MSNBC. I didn't know they were making commercials. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, but does the AHA ally with them, work with them in any way, or is that a completely separate thing from no. what the humanists are doing? <laughs> We work with them. We have our own legal center. We have the Apignani Humanist Legal Center. Um, we have two or three on-staff attorneys. Um, it's, they're very active. We have uh, close to a 90%, better than a 90% win rate and um, compliance rate with our letter writing. So we do very, most of the same things freedom from religion does. Oh. Uh, and, 
and quite honestly, we're, we, we're more careful <laughs> about the cases we take because we don't want to set bad precedent. But our, um, our attorneys are gung-ho, brilliant. They've argued cases in front of the Supreme Court. We've, um, and we win. So the other thing that we do that is we have started a campaign. It's been going for several years now um, about the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh. Where we encourage high school and college age students well, college, they don't have to do it so much, but high school, middle school, to sit, stand for the, your rights, sit for the pledge. Because in many states, they've made the pledge mandatory, which is unconstitutional. Right. Students don't know that. So um, we've had students all over the country who will sit down and, and um, not stand and, and rise for the pledge because it's a bit of a prayer, among other things. And, One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Sure, right, and God, you know that wasn't originally in the pledge, right? That under part, and so these kids sit, and if they get into any kind of uh, difficulties with their school districts as or, or their teachers as a result of that, we come to their defense. Nice, and we handle those lawsuits. And currently, uh, we're waiting for a ruling on a lawsuit in Douglas County, Colorado. Hmm. There was a, um, it's called a Christmas child program, and they encouraged this, this is elementary school, I think, they encouraged the kids to bring in little, well, pencils and school supplies and stuff like that to go into a little shoebox that then gets sent overseas to Muslim kids um, to help them, you know. It seems like this very benign, nice thing. You want to help them. You want to have them have school books and pencils and all this kind of thing. But then also what goes in the box are religious tracts, talking about Christianity and all the proselytizing that goes on. Well, it seems like there so, would be no better way to make sure that that help would not be well-received at the other end. <laughs> yes. Except, you know, to, yeah. to, to stick, I mean, how would, how would they feel if they got similar boxes from Iraq with a bunch right. of Muslim tracks in it? I mean, do they even ask themselves a question like that when they no, do stuff like don't. this? Of course not, because they're saving these souls, you see. It's their mission. Uh. The point is, they're using, they're using public school, they're using government money government resources and the public schools to fill these boxes. Right. So right. that's one loss that we're waiting for the, the verdict on right now. It's just so stupid because it's such a fantastic waste of time and energy on the part of, of you know, well-intentioned children who are going out of their way to try to help somebody on the other side of the world out of, a, out of probably a pure desire to be of, of humanist assistance. And then right. it gets like messed up and, and, and and in, in such a way as to guarantee that help is not going to be perceived as help. You know, right. what a waste. What a stupid, stupid waste. Yeah, so it's a good thought, but they didn't execute it very well. No, and there are ways they could execute that while still getting their name in there as a Christian organization and try to build some bridges. But when they just beat people over the head with those religious tracks, it, it just wastes the whole thing. What would I got curious about something you said there? What you know, you said you were guys were a bit more careful about the cases you take on than the FFRF 
has been or or in terms of that what's your decision point how would what, like what were you what were you looking at there when you said that well one thing that we do is we we're kind of following the track that a lot of the lgbtq groups did and we're not bringing cases that are going to go in front of courts where we might lose and set a bad precedent so right now we're staying, I think it's the district court areas, so they don't get bumped to the federal Supreme Court. Okay. Because we don't feel like we can prevail in the Supreme Court. And if the Supreme Court um, rules against us, then you've set precedent that goes on for decades. Mm. That's something that we very much are wanting to avoid. I see. I don't know anything about this sort of thing, but is it a thing where you would work at a local level and build up case law in a certain direction or with your successes? Is that a, is that a long-term no. strategic thing or is that just how you're dealing with the cases you're, you're taking on? No, it's a, it's a strategic thing and I am not an expert on the court system. So I know that there are, you know, there are some, courts that if you try a case in front of that court and you don't get the ruling you want, you can appeal to the next higher court. Right. And what we don't want to do is get into um, that line of court jumping where we end up in front of a court that will rule against us. Yeah, I get it. We also stick to cases that we feel we have a pretty good assurance of winning. And that's nothing. That's nothing particularly unusual for uh, for groups taking on court cases. I mean, who wants to take on losing cases just just because you know? Some people will do that because they want because it does afford a certain amount of publicity, right? You know, whether you win or you lose, you get publicity and you get your message out there. So there's some value to it. I'm not saying there's no use in doing it. But at this point in time in our court systems, it's not as um, the, the, the backside of a loss can be very damaging into the future. Okay, I get it. I'm tracking on that. Okay, interesting. Um, other than the, um, you know, maybe religious right or extreme, you know, people who come from a from a black and white thinking perspective of, you know, if you're not accepting Christ into your heart and you're not, you know, a Jesus lover or a God lover or something, then you're evil and you must be destroyed. I mean, we know those exist, and that's that's what I consider the the lunatic fringe of the of the religious spectrum, because I know not, you know, most most believers are not that far gone. Right. Uh, is there any other groups or or things or individuals or anybody that you've run into out there who hate on humanists or who are actively opposed to what you guys are doing? I don't think so. I'm um, most people don't know what it is. Um, one of the one of the arguments I frequently have with with David Silverman. Of American atheists. Yes, I've had him on the show. <laughs> yeah, He's sure a firebrand. He, he gets around. He is a firebrand, and I like David. I really do like him, and yep. I think there is a absolutely a a purpose and a role for what he does. I agree. He, he makes a lot of noise, and again, it's one of those situations where you're out there and you're making a lot of publicity, 
And so more people get to hear the message. That's right. So there's very much a good, good piece of that. The part where I get into conflict with David is he said, we should all only use the word humanist. We should not use the word, I mean, we should only use the word atheist. We should not use oh. the word humanist. And oh. that's one of David's, that's one of David's um, favorite speeches. Where that's... he really gets all excited and says, you're wasting your time. Humanist is a wishy-washy word and you shouldn't use it. We should all use atheist. And so I would right. say that maybe that's one other place where I would... Um, I disagree with him. Right. Getting a little bit of hate from David, from the atheists. That's hilarious. But, of course, it totally makes sense to me because David is the president of the American Atheist Association. So, of course, he's going to want to promote atheism as much as he can. That's our David. Uh, okay. Now, in terms of where all this is going, I mean, obviously, the, the, the struggle right now is what you just said, getting yourself known. You know, it's mainly a non-existence a point that you you know you don't exist in people's minds. I mean, they don't even know what humanism is, what it stands for, that it's a thing. It's harder so how, to define. Uh, okay, fair enough. So, how do you see the organization moving forward, or humanists out there moving forward into the future to remedy that situation and grow the organization? What are the what are the plans and uh, programs with that? Well. We have a lot, really. Um, my my personal thing, one thing that we did when David was president, it, we began doing it, and that was ad advertising. Now, we don't have the same level of resources as FFRF, so we can't run these very expensive television commercials, which I think are valuable, and I think they're, they're a good thing. I believe in marketing. I believe in advertising. Yeah, me too. What one of the things I would like to see is when our membership is going to work at the soup kitchen or our membership is working on a highway or volunteering in a literacy center or at a homeless shelter or even on a political campaign, I'd like to see them wearing a t-shirt or a hat or a pin that says proud humanist or I'm a humanist, ask me what that is, or anything, because I think that's the way um, outside of marketing and advertising, and we have a very large Facebook presence. I think we are the, um, I think we're the biggest in Facebook. Well, that's, okay. how, I, that's how I first so heard of you guys, was I actually ran across an article that David Nios had posted and, uh, and reached out to him and had him on the show also. Uh, uh -huh. And that was that was how I first heard of him was 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 through his some some article he'd posted that I was very impressed by. Right. So Facebook is definitely a way to get the word out there. Yeah. So I I don't remember our membership on Facebook, but but it's big and we get a lot of media hits. But really, the thing that you know that'll encourage somebody to take a look. But what really gets somebody moving in that direction is if they personally know someone and as we walk through our days doing whatever it is we do people don't necessarily say oh what religion are you or what is your life philosophy that's right or no people like tend to avoid those questions these days because it's such they, there's such divisiveness out there and it's a shame because it's 
it, we really should be more open to, you know, being curious about what other people are up to without fear of having to turn it into a, a fisticuffs, you know, or, right. or some exactly. kind of tumble in the, in the mud because you simply disagree about something, you know, it's, it's real shame. Yeah. So I think that's, that's where I would like to see us be more visible. Excellent. Uh, we have, we have uh, celebrants of over um, 360 celebrants now who are really a very good outreach for us. They do weddings and um, coming of age ceremonies and memorial services. We have one in Texas who is doing services at um, one of the um, Air Force bases. I think she's at Lackland Air Force Base and she'll do a Sunday service, if that's what you want to call it, with, you know, well over a thousand people. Now, when you're, when you're hitting those numbers, you know there's an interest out there. And it's just a matter of helping people know how to get involved and, and, um, and be more aware of it. I think the, the difficulty is that most humanists who aren't active members of the organization are simply out there living their lives. Of course. They're, they're out there being good people. Right. You know, they're, they're coaching the soccer team or their kids' little league team or whatever, and they're, they're, not, um, they're not feeling that need to go beat on other people to, to prove that they don't have to believe in God to be a good person. They're just doing it. They're just walking the walk, walking the talk. And so um, a little bit more visibility by those people, I think, would be very helpful. Agreed. You walkers and talkers out there, yeah. <laughs> listen up. We need your help. <laughs> get active. You a, I'm going to get you a humanist lapel pin. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. Fair enough. Well, um, is, there, is there any other aspect to where you think the group is going or anything else that you think we might want to talk about that I haven't had a chance to ask you about with this thing? Well, we're, we're working uh, along with MAF, which is the Military Association of Atheists and Freethinkers, to get humanist celebrants within the military. When, when you, and of course, military of interest to me because Colorado Springs, um, we have a lot of military bases here. Yep. Um, that, that as the younger demographic moves into the military, you're going to get more and more non-theistic individuals in there. I think they're saying the under 22 age group is something like 30% non-theistic. Wow. But when you, when you get into those kinds of numbers, uh, they deserve the opportunity to have representation within the chaplaincy. And so right now, the military has not approved humanist chaplains. They, they're, um, they're fighting that battle. And most of the chaplains you'll find will be Protestant, some Catholics, a couple of Jewish, um, maybe a Muslim. Um, and so what we want, that's one of the big campaigns that we're working with, with MAF with, is to get humanist chaplains 
into the military in the United States. And would those people serve as like a counseling function? Well, see, that's, yeah, that's, you hit the nail on the head there because what happens is when you're in the military, if you go to see an official counselor or psychologist because you're having a rough time in your life, whether you're coming back with PTSD or you have trouble at home just because humans sometimes have trouble interacting, if you go to a psychological professional, that goes on your record goes in your military jacket. If you go to see oh. your priest or your clergy or your chaplain, that's private. That does not go into your military record. So it, what we're seeing right now is an inability of our non-theistic military members to find someone that they can talk to about these very personal issues without it turning up in their, in their military records. Interesting. Interesting. Because I guess that could be somehow construed as a, I mean, it shouldn't be, but I, I mean, I, I, would, I would rebel against the whole idea of it being considered a black mark on your record if you went to get some yes, counseling. But it, but it does kind of come across that way in the military? Sure it does. Yes. Okay. Wow. All right. That's I a weak, you know, that's a weakness. You're not, you're not the G.I. G.I. Joe doesn't need to go talk about his daddy issues, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> wow. Exactly. All right, yeah, stigma, stigma, stigma. Okay, no, no surprise there. Um, and I see that as a necessary step then, uh, you know, in that, in that. Yeah, and, and, you know, you can make the argument that there shouldn't be any chaplains in the military at all, but I think that's very unrealistic. In the situations that we put our military in people, they need someone to talk to. For sure. And, For sure. And so if we're going to accept the premise that sometimes those people are going to be representations of a religious group, then the non-theistic people, the non-theistic military members also need that same kind of individual to speak with. Right. Exactly. And I, I, would, I personally, I would never want to dissolve the chaplaincy. Or whatever the the, the word the chaplain corps, you know, whatever it's called, uh, because I think that would be cruel. Uh, I think people who have belief should have somebody to fall back on in a stressful, traumatic situation like a battlefield, war type sit, combat situation. And I so of course I would agree completely with a with a humanist approach there as well. Right. I mean, we have we have humanists in the military. Of course, exactly. Interesting. All right, cool. Well, listen, um, this has been very interesting. I, I would, uh, where would people go right now if they were interested in finding out more about the AHA, humanism in general? Where's, where do we send them? Americanhumanist.org. Okay. And what will, it, what will they find there? Oh, <laughs> they'll find a really big website. Okay, good. <laughs> so, I mean, there are pages and pages. They can spend a lot of time there. If they're little children, we have uh, kidswithoutgod.com. And, and um, there's, once you get into the website, there are links that will take you. And you can learn the Humanist Society is where our chat, where our celebrants are. You can find a celebrant nearby. It's all geographically listed if you wanted to be 
Um, we were going now, we're just started within our celebrant program into the prisons. So we've got some celebrants, actually a fellow who is a prisoner and he, he's never getting out, but he wants that ability to help his fellow inmates and to hold uh, meetings within the, within the prison system. So we're getting into the prisons, um, but that again, you can find all of that by starting off at AmericanHumanist.org. If you're in Washington, D.C., you can come to the office. <laughs> That's right, in your beautiful new building. <laughs> or, hey, I'm telling you, it is bright blue. It's, an, yeah. it's AHA blue and it has a happy humanist painted in white on the outside of the building. We're in a historic district, so they wouldn't let us put a sign up, but they would let us paint our building. So wow. it's, it's quite okay. a sight. To but it is not, and I'm just going to take, because my audience is just going to like uh, kill me if I don't mention this. It is not blue because L. Ron Hubbard said to make it blue like he did the blue buildings in L.A., that it has no, no connection not. whatsoever. It just so happens that blue really does stand out, and you see a blue building right away. So, and it's our it's our color. We use this blue. I had I didn't realize it was a Scientology color. <laughs> for the for only for the buildings in uh, the heart of Hollywood, the the Cedars of Lebanon oh. complex. When Hubbard purchased that property in the mid seventies, he said, "I want it all painted, uh, really livid." Uh, blue, and it just stands out. I mean, you you can see it for miles, you know. So I'd just be remiss if I didn't mention that. But it, clearly, no connection whatsoever here between humanists not, and Scientologists. No, we are not Scientologists. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. All right. Well, uh, Rebecca, thank you again very much for being on the show here. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Awesome. All right, folks, if you have any questions, comments, criticisms, uh, good, bad, sideways, leave them in the comment section below here on YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com. I am uh, interested in your feedback on this. And, uh, and if you, you know, have anything to say about humanism uh, or, you know, some of the stuff we've talked about here, I look forward to that feedback. I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.